0: lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply
1: you're listening to the archaeology podcast network
2: Welcome to episode 159 of Life Ruins Podcast. Where we investigate the careers and research of those living life ruined. Today it's just me, no Connor and David. They're off doing something else. They're about to actually start living together here shortly. So David is packing up the bus and uh, getting ready to move to Wyoming to live in uh, Connor's front porch in the good old ethno bus. But today we have fellow APN host Dr. Andrew Kinkella from the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast here with us today. Andrew, how are you doing this afternoon, man? What's up? It's so nice to be
1: here, man. You know, it's just you and I now. And I think maybe you should just drop those other two guys, man. And just the two of us can rule the APN, you know? Yeah, now that we got rid
2: of the dirt, now it's just sky's the limit.
1: And we don't even need Chris. (laughs) We'll just it's just you and me, man. We should we should go for it. Anyway, (laughs) it's it's so good to be here and it's so nice to talk to a fellow podcaster, you know, because in our world, it's like, I'll hear your show or you'll hear my show, you know, and the same is true for the other podcasters on the APN, but like none of us really know each other, you know, none of us interact almost at all. Like I've, I haven't even met everyone on like the CRM podcast you know i've heard their voice a hundred times but i've never met them in person so it's it's so nice to meet you although be it over you know the magic of zencaster it's nice to just kind of hang out and talk a little bit
2: yeah man absolutely i think i've only met i've met the crm guys before we even had a podcast. So I think we met up with Chris at SA Albuquerque right? just to like sign paperwork before right. we even recorded our first show. So we kind of got to meet them through that whole debacle. And our first episode with them is talking about the Me Too movement and meet Connor and David. Were like, we were so out of our depth and no one wants to hear a group of six predominantly white men talk about anything as it relates to women in the field of archaeology so we just no? took our mouth shut really you know it was You're crazy who would have who thought and then um, yeah i've happened to meet the dirt podcast in person like once or twice and then yeah. jessica yakinto from heritage voices uh, the right. opportunity to meet her, but other than that right. man yeah it's it's great to add to the list of, of folks that we know in fact like because yeah. i listened to your show when it started coming back up And then um, I listened to it in the car with my mom once. And I'm pretty sure you're her favorite podcast. Yes. She loves just like how like 30 minutes and how fun it is. And like and it's just like topics in archaeology that she's like familiar with, you know, as she's like, what's wrong with Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull? And I'm like, well, Kobe, let me explain why this is absolute (laughs) bullshit. Better yet, let's Dr. Kinkilla explain it to you. Right. And, and I'll do it
1: with a gentle touch, you know, because I, I mean, I love Indiana Jones, but what was fun about that one is I actually was a double major in archaeology and film. So I can kind of really go deep on the film side of things and be like, look, you know, there's real problems with this movie from this side. Just, you know, in terms of a fully functioning narrative, it's just kind of long and boring and moves real slow, you know, yeah. so. Anyway, man, I'm so glad that your mom, uh, you know, that she likes me best,
2: man. Yeah. I mean, like Bob Kelly's her favorite archaeologist. So, I mean, like right. I'm kind of used to like other people taking the spotlight away from her yeah. uh, from her favorite child. But yeah. I was curious about that because you have a, a BA in anthropology and film studies from UC yes. Santa Barbara. Yep. But you also have an MA in anthro and a minor in theater from what yes. is it? California State University, yeah. CS, Like I'm, the CSU I'm familiar with is Colorado
1: State. So is it California oh, right.
2: State University? Yeah, it's California State
1: University. So that's Northridge. It's in the Valley
2: area of Los Angeles. Gotcha. So, and yeah. then your PhD in Anthro from uh, with the my archaeology focus. You see, yep. Riverside. So you're like a California boy, like through and through, never. I am never got out. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to know the rest of the world. This
1: is California, man. Isn't it the best place? I mean, that's what Jim Morrison says. Yeah, I took the world's slowest trip down the California coast. So I'm originally from the Bay Area. And then I went to like Santa Barbara, then I went a little lower and I went to the LA area and then ultimately to Riverside. So yeah, I have pretty much kind of done a tour of California throughout my life. And I've been very fortunate in terms of, just the people I've met and who I've worked with and all that kind of good stuff. So I got no complaints.
2: Sweet, man. And you're currently uh, a professor of archaeology at what the hell is this place it's a exactly it's, at what the hell is this place Burdock, it has a lot of uh, it's a, like it's a really long you know abbreviation here but oh it's yeah, like oh yeah been, no no
1: no that'll mess you up currently I'm the full-time archaeology professor at Moore Park College which is in Southern California it's part of the Ventura County Community College district which is super long absolutely. and will mess you up so yeah it's In terms of the area in California, it's near Simi Valley, or you could say about halfway between Santa Barbara and Los Angeles, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I've been there, man. Next year will be 20 years. So crazy. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. I've always enjoyed the community college system. like, I'm a community. Co- I didn't graduate. I transferred out once I realized they didn't have an anthro program and their historic right. preservation They would have kept me there another year. But like, I mean, shit. I went to Northern Virginia Community College, and at that time, Second Lady Jill Biden was my English teacher.
1: Oh at my the god! The
2: Alexandria conference. Like, yeah. Like, you yeah. know, she was she was teaching community college English when she was the uh, the vice president's partner. Like I've always loved the community college system, and like i I the guy that got me into anthropology. You know, he was also the zoo archaeologist at Catholic University in D.C. and then okay. like taught on the side at archaeology at the community college. And he always loved teaching community college classes over the Catholic stuff because he said yeah. it gave him like way more freedom. He got to interact more closely with students, and it kind of got to do like a lot more in the state than he was able to in D.C. Yeah, it's. It really is the dream gig, I think.
1: I think it's what college should be and what, unfortunately, a lot of four-year worlds aren't so much anymore, meaning that it's really collaborative. It's really relaxed. My best closest friends in terms of the fellow faculty are a chemist and a theater person. You know, so I get to know like all kinds of people from all different walks of academic life. And that part, I just... I really treasure that. It's really just fun. Like, I don't want to talk about anthro all day. Like, I want to know, like, oh, wow, your chemistry stuff. That's interesting. You know, so I, I really enjoy that. I enjoy the students. It is, in terms of teaching, it's five and five, right? So Holy shit. I thought
2: yeah, four, four was like a full load, but
1: now, a five, five? Five, five plus, I do six and six because baby needs new shoes. You know what I mean? So that's a little, little extra <laughs> extra cash on the side. So it's I mean, you are teaching all the time. You're doing something like just about every day, you know, and some days, man, doing three in a row can be really taxing, you know, with teaching you know, three classes back to back on a day at the end of that third class. You're just kind of like,
2: boy, I feel kind of loopy. You know, it's, it's like doing oh three God. comedy shows back to back. It's tiring. I can't even. So, are these all archaeology classes, or do you have to do like some gen eds, like public speaking here and there?
1: No, it's all going to be anthro stuff. But in terms of what the department needs and that kind of stuff, since I'm the archaeologist, a, a typical semester would be like two archaeologies, one specialty class, like Mysteries in the Ancient Maya or something like that. One, I have this section of Saturday classes where it's all day Saturday and we learn real archaeological techniques so one of those and then one maybe fill in the blank like bioanthro or cultural anthro or something like that where there might not be quite enough archaeology stuff to do so I'll have to dip out to the other side just for a bit okay
2: yeah but so generally the same students like this is a two-year kind of associates level it is okay yeah
1: So that's that world. But the big classes, even an intro to archaeology, but even something like a bioanthro or whatever. I mean, you get there's a ton of non-majors, you know, which I really like. I I like being the hook, you know, like, hey, come
2: try out this archaeology stuff. It's pretty fun. Sweet. I know. So like your students also go to field school through this so they can go into the CRM market without. yeah. Yeah. And I've always found those students like we when I worked at Fort Lewis College, our crew chief was a current student in the program, but he had his associates from like a community college in New Mexico and had been working CRM for like six years. And he, this kid who recently graduated with his bachelor's, but like he knew more about the Southwestern Pueblo 1, 2 stuff than like me and Jesse Toon. Like we were, students were asking us like, hey, what's this pottery? And we're like... No fucking clue. Kagan, what is this pottery? You know, and just like and he, those kids are so knowledgeable. It's like if you want to yeah. do biology, go to a community college and just get that field school out of the way.
1: Yes. And just that that focus, you know, and you really can learn a lot in that little tiny world. And that's what focus gets you, because, you know, it's very difficult in the four year world. It's difficult for anyone, but you kind of go through it and you're like, I don't know. This is all pretty interesting. And you kind of get a general feeling for things, which is fine. But. If you want a job later, it's really great to get that specialty knowledge on local archaeology, wherever it is that you may live, you know, because that's that's where the gigs are, you
2: know. Right. And California is like pretty insular, like archaeology, like there's it's like a whole different world, even within like Western archaeology. It's like if you want to do California based art, you have to go to like a California school almost. It is.
1: Although recently in terms of jobs, the CRM firms are suffering so bad. They'll take anyone, you know, who has experience. They are dying for people, but you're right in terms of like the cultural knowledge. It's like you cross over the
2: Sierra Nevadas and then it's its own show, you know? Gotcha. Well, sweet man. Now, when you were doing your bachelor's at Santa Barbara, cause you, when did you finish that degree? So I finished that in 95. I started uh, as
1: an 18 year old at Santa Barbara in the fall of 1990, you know, back in the Kurt Cobain days and was there through the the mid nineties. And then I went to Northridge, right? Like 98, 99, right in there. And then I went to Riverside and finally finished there in 2009, I believe. But throughout that time, I would just go to Belize in the summers. The first year I did that was in 1993. And then it was almost every summer after that, I'd go for sometimes
2: as long as four months. Gotcha. Because I was curious, because like my Ph.D. advisor, Dr. Douglas Banforth, got his Ph.D. from UC Santa Barbara. But oh. I think in like 88 or 89 yeah. under Joachim. So like you just. Oh, right. Yeah. You just missed him, I guess.
1: Yeah. I just I just know his name. But Mike Joachim, I worked with a, a bunch, you know,
2: it, and I actually went to Germany with him one. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. That's straight. right. So, uh, like, I'm really fascinated by by the work you've done in, in Belize, and like, what caught me onto it was your episode 114 of the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, just titled "The Maya Sinotes." Because I had no yeah. idea, like, just from listening to your podcast, you know, you started. How many episodes have you recorded at this point? Like, almost because you rebooted i, re- I think the first three. episode was
1: 94 was the reboot yeah. and it's up towards 117 or something like that so whatever it's 20 and some um, 23 episodes i don't know
2: whatever it is and you're like the- bi- and you come out bi-weekly so like yeah. every other week an yeah. episode drops on a wednesday that's right and so and i've been following your podcast since it's come out mostly since you started mm-hmm. like creeping up on a life in ruins on our monthly meetings yeah. we're like we're like who the fuck is you're- this like out of <laughs> nowhere you just like popped up and you got this following and yeah. connor and david are just like wait a minute it's taken us years to get to this point and here's here's kinkilla just like <laughs> crawling after us like sprinting not even crawling I'm like what the fuck
1: that's so funny that you noticed that because i had my eyes laser focused on you guys i'm like okay these fools right up here i'm gonna catch them you know and, and then right. it just started to go but i have it in some ways easier because the pseudo-archaeology podcast is very palatable to like a wide audience you know and that was one of the reasons I started it again just because it had lain dormant for years like five Mm -hmm. years or something like that and they still had a handful of people that would download it every month and that's how that's why we started it again because I was talking to Chris and he's like we have this one it's been sitting nobody's done anything but people still tune in I'm like dude you know like look I'll sit in the seat you know, let's do this. There's an audience that wants this. So that first push of mine was sort of made possible by a very forgiving and wanting general public, you know, if that makes sense. So I I, I had a little bit of a of a tailwind, you
2: know. Yeah, but it it was great. And so like just let's cause you you take on these topics of just like, you know, what pseudo archaeology, but they also talk about like pseudo arc adjacent, like your story yeah. of the weird place in California where you brought your compass and your friends when you're like 12. And I just imagined it being like stranger things. Oh, yeah. The mystery like, spot. It was exactly spot. like stranger things. I like, was like, I was like the mystery spot. I listened and I was like, what the fuck is this episode? The, it was just,
1: yeah. But it was so fun. Those are so, so great. And I have a handful more. It's so funny when I do that show, I'm like, how many of these can I do from a story of mine when I was 12? And the answer is quite a few. <laughs> so I, I I would just remember these experiences. And in terms of my age, I am like the exact same age as the guys from Stranger Things, like like to the year. So when I watch that show, I'm like, oh, it's my mom's house. Oh, hey, right. look, my bike. I'm right in there. But you're you're correct that place was like that and one of the things that that I try and do to make the show palatable is I have just fun with it it's like lighthearted you know i'm not here to be like oh it's so awful what happens you know i'm like look at this story isn't it funny i think it's funny you know and and to have the audience just kind of come along on a light a light romp through the pseudo archaeology world so that's that's what i shoot for you
2: know yeah and they're so well versed especially in a lot of the, the pseudo arc stuff and because you have that background of my archaeology which we'll get into in the next segment and we'll yes. delve into the archaeology more so you're like hitting on the crystal skulls you're yeah. hitting on the like ancient astronauts and like coming at it with like this background it'd be like if David Anderson did like a pseudo arc you like you just had that same background where you can be authorities where like when me David and Connor are trying to talk about something we do have to do a bit of research because we're just kind of like no one there's no pseudo arc really as it relates to like paleo Indian or like maize mm-hmm. farmers. Like, granted, there's like Salutrian right. that we can all rant about, but mm-hmm. nothing specific to. Like, let me talk about these Maya. Glyphs and how it's not a dude in a rocket ship. It's yeah. like this very specific. No, it helps. It, it helps. I try and angle it toward, I do
1: try and angle it towards just like personal experiences I have, or I, or I try consciously for one segment to be like, all right, on one segment, I want to talk about how this relates to me, or how I know a guy who did this thing, or how I visited a place where I did see this personally. Cause I think people like that first person narrative. But on the flip side, I have to do actually a decent part of background research too i i almost make i make like a little bullet point outline of what i'm going to talk about you know before i start i take a single sheet of paper and i kind of put it in thirds and i'm like okay first third's gonna be this stuff and second third going to be this stuff and it's because you know like both you and i know, doing a solo show there's as soon as you stop talking it's quiet you know even with one other person you can just keep going all day but when you're by yourself you have to have a bit of a figured out plan, you know, of where you're going to land and you know, how you're going to end the show, you know? Right. So I I do, depending on the show, sometimes I can kind of wing it and know, but other ones I really have
2: to do some research. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, the, the two, maybe two or three solo ones I did, I felt bad because the last one I did on like planes archeology, span I was kind of like sick and super sniffly and like making gross throat noises. <laughs> and all the emails that we had from people were like, that was the most fucking traumatizing episode i ever listened to like whatever's wrong with carlton make it stop and i was like uh, Fuck it, i'm never doing this again because i was just like so plains archaeology no, the, just people were not having it i'm like no, oh, I, try, I, I, try. I listened to that and it was
1: fine f those people like it's fine because your stories were interesting they were honest i i dug it dude so i mean that stuff happens and it's like you know what we have to put out content every other week. You guys, aren't you guys like every week or something? Or every, every week we have to come up with Good something. God. So that's the thing. It's like, hey, look, it's Carlton on his deathbed because you have to do it. And so I I don't mind at all if that kind of stuff happens because it's part of the gig. It's like, dude, I had to do it. What am I supposed to do? Not be sick? I'm sick. You know, yeah. so I don't
2: know. I, I had no problem with it. I thought it was great. Well, fair enough. Well, well, on that touching note, we'll be right yeah. back with episode of 159. We'll, we'll be right back with segment two. We'll get into some archaeology here in a second.
1: Hey, archaeology podcast fans. Anyone that's heard me on a show has likely heard me mention coffee one or probably a thousand times. Coffee, however awesome it is, has some downsides and should be consumed in moderation. That's why we partnered with Laird Superfoods. They've got lots of stuff, but their coffee and coffee creamers have been engineered to taste better, provide functional benefits, and don't contain any refined sugars. So are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code ARKPODNETFEED at checkout and save 15% on your purchase today. You can also click the link in your show notes.
0: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.
2: And welcome back to episode 159. We're still here with Dr. Andrew Kinkella. And so one of the conversations that has sprouted this episode is like my recent work with Professor Charles Beaker of underwater science at IU down in the Dominican Republic. And then your episode, which I mentioned during the last segment on your dissertation work, where you were down in Belize every summer working on Maya cenotes and like doing underwater archaeology in some of the most like rural backwater, no roads, trudging through the goddamn tropical forest with like full scuba equipment and having yes. to like at times sleep outside. Like your story of like you got your hammock set up, you're zipped <laughs> up, and then you're hearing like jaguars across the cenote. It's like, what? Oh, yes. The kind of Indiana Jones Mickey Mouse bullshit have you you get yourself (laughs) into?
1: You know, I think the term Indiana Jones Mickey Mouse bullshit is really a great explanatory term for that. So, yeah, you know, it was a crazy idea that worked, if that makes sense. Like, I was so fortunate when I first went to grad school I knew my good friend Lisa Lucero and Lisa has worked in Belize forever and ever and we're just close friends and we worked together really great she had gotten this new project in the Valley of Peace area of Belize which is sort of central Belize and we were looking at the map of this place and there were like 25 cenotes in a line at the top of the map so there was one cenote every like picture it like every one cenote every like half mile like just in a long row, because it had to do with there was like a geologic fault there. So you have these cenotes in a row and I had just already taken scuba anyways. And I was just, I've always been a water person. Like I'm really good at swimming. I was on the swim team. I was a lifeguard for a while, like all that kind of stuff. And I was like, Lisa, what if I do the cenotes for my master's thesis? You know? And she's like, yeah, that'd be great. And that next year I'm like, Lisa, what if I dive one of the cenotes? Wouldn't that be cool? And she's like, sure. And so she and I just planned out this like crazy Andrew's going diving in a cenote in the middle of nowhere. And that's what we did. The, the first time I ever dove a cenote was in, I believe it was 1998. It was me and one of the other students actually had her scuba diving certification, had just gotten it. I only had maybe like 10 dives under my belt at the time or something like that, something crazy. But I will say I was very careful. I planned everything out like really slowly and carefully. And the dive ultimately worked. But the getting there was wild. I think it was it was something nuts, like six miles of walking with a backpack that has all your stuff, like a heavy backpack that has like your tent and all your water and all your equipment, all your regular archaeology stuff. And then on top of it, you're carrying your. DC and your regulator and your fins. And then I remember just carrying my tank across my back, you know, Atlas carrying the world style. And I remember that the air I breathed out of that tank was from New Mexico. We had filled the tanks in New Mexico. So I breathed New Mexico air as I dove the cenotes of Belize for the very first time.
2: So time out, time out, talk, talk. Because my first question is like, Where did you fill up the tanks every day? So, did you like, like, truck down a bunch of pre filled tanks from no. New Mexico? No.
1: So, this, this project grew as the years went by. The first year was two tanks, that's it, that's all. So, we only did two dives ultimately. We just get the, so the getting there because we had to like get to the cenotes and sort of map them in the first place, you know, you right. You, we're in nowhere. We're, we're taking machetes and just trying to get there. And then once you get there, it's like, okay, we're going to do a little archaeology. We're going to do a little bit of excavation, you know, and then, okay, Andrew's going to dive. And then what we did, me and Anna was her name, Anna Osterholtz. She was my very great dive buddy. And we did one initial dive that we planned out to 60 feet. We were going to look at these certain areas. We came up, and then we had enough air. I remember, I think I'd used a little more air than her that we switched tanks and then did a second dive. Again, the second time to like, I think less that time, 30 feet or something like that. So we didn't go down to the bottom of the cenote. We didn't even know exactly how deep it was. It turned out the cenote was 240 feet deep. So we
2: we only went to 60 feet. That's crazy. So like for, for everyone listening, like a cenote are these like freshwater pools and these like limestone environments like Yucatan, Belize, Costa Rica. And like, there's some in the Caribbean too. Like it's the Mm -hmm. same limestone formations. I forget what they're called in the Dominican. They're, they're cenotes, but they call, call them something different and whatever, (laughs) but they're, but they're filled with fresh water and they're like extremely important for many of these archeological and even like modern cultures. Like that's where you get fresh water from in these environments. Yeah. So like, I'm trying to think like a 60 foot dive. So You're going through all that air in like less than 30 minutes to get that deep. Yeah, it was somewhere in
1: there. I want to say it was maybe about 30 minutes or so. And it was half a tank, right? So it's not the whole, you you know. But yeah, so cenotes, you know, in terms of seeing them in your mind, they look like mini lakes. They're maybe like 200 feet across. A bigger one would be like three or 400 feet across would be pretty big. And they vary in depth. The shallowest one I ever worked in was six feet deep. And again, the deepest was 240 and they have sheer sides. So even going down 60 feet, there's no place to really stand. You're you're just going sort of down the sidewall, you know, of the snow. Right. Just sort of looking at stuff, looking for stuff. There were little niches, and little crevices, little bits and pieces that stuck out. And on one of those little tiny shelves, it was small. It was a picture it like one foot by one foot. There was a little broken Maya potsherd. So... At least there was one. So on that very first dive, we found one Maya pot shirt, which is more than enough for proof of concept to say, hey, the ancient Maya threw artifacts into this cenote. That's bonkers.
2: And so like two tank dives, you have to things and your equipment, like that's yep. that's a lot, right? Six miles into into the tropical forest, <laughs> yeah. just do this too quick. Like one, an exploratory, like how deep does this go? Oh, we can't see Nobody the bottom. Knows. Yeah, that's <laughs> why we can't see the bottom. Second it's like maybe something's on the edge that we can see because we're not getting to the bottom of this. It's that like exactly Like if it's two hundred forty feet deep, you're talking about like you're going to need like one of those two tank packs. You are gonna have to switch halfway through and it's like a three hour long dive with a mandatory safety stop of at least 45 yeah. minutes at the point. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's like a plan. That's like a Nat Geo invested project to get to the bottom of that. And of that's what
1: we ultimately did. All right, Holy years, shit. Okay. Years all right, later.
2: So, okay. Explain. Let's go into so, it. All
1: right. So I did that initial dive in 98 or whatever. And then every summer after really all the way until 2008, I would do some version of that where I'd like dive a little more or I I started to find that I could get a ton done with snorkeling because I'm a good swimmer. So I could hold my breath. I could go down like 20 feet. I could I, I could get a lot of like the initial survey stuff done just snorkeling. It was much easier to move through the jungle. Didn't have to carry all that crap. But in 2010, basically, as the years went by. The story sounds pretty damn good, right? There's this guy out here working on the cenotes. He's diving. Nobody even knows really of these cenotes. And so Lisa ultimately applied for a National Geographic grant and they gave it to us. And we were were able to hire a handful of National Geographic divers. And I got to go dive with them. And that was one of the absolute joys of my professional life because those guys were so damn good that like they had nothing to prove. You know what I mean? They're not they're not there to not show you something or be secretive. They were like, come over here, Andrew, you know, because they knew I wasn't as good as them right they' They're there to make me better. So I dove with them and then they went to town. So they had like they dove with Trimix, rebreathers, all the, you know, super, super stuff. And on one of those dives, I remember going down to 100 feet and staying there. And then watching them, and they had they had really big lights, like all this stuff, right? And then watching them go all the way down further to the bottom of the cenote, and we actually found that there was a huge cave at the bottom of the cenote that went in into the mountain. So I watched oh them dive down, 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 in, and gone. And then I was just floating there at a hundred feet in a Maya cenote. And like I had my moment. I was like, man, I'm in the Maya underworld. Here I am in Shabalba. Here it is. Welcome to Shabalba, Andrew Kinkela. You know, and I just had that moment. And then I slowly like went back up. So, yeah, as the years went on, we got more people on on the project, like very experienced divers that would help help me out, work with me search some of the other cenotes, I would kind of do some, and they'd sort of do some, but it was excellent having people of that kind of caliber. It's just awesome to work with people like that. You learn so fast,
2: you know, when you work right. with people like that. So that was really, really thrilling. Dude, that's incredible. So when I did that, this trip with Charles, like I only had six open water dives under my belt. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I had like the four we did, I did the DR just to get certified the two when we went to sunset ponds out here to do some work. hmm. Some of the, I have over a decade's worth of like archaeological experience. So I'm down there trying to teach students how to do stuff, but like, you know, I'm floating as I'm writing on my fucking board. Like, I have no control over my buoyancy at that point. The students are all trying to help me, like, just manage my under, like, scuba stuff while I'm trying to teach them how to measure. It was like this really funny. Like reversal of like, I am out of my element. I can know as much about archaeology down here as possible without that extra layer of like, I can't help them if I can't not be doing backflips trying to show them how to do simple shit.
1: What's so funny is in my early days, right after I did that initial dive in the cenotes in 98, I think it was the next summer. I worked with Charlie Beaker, too. And I was you. Right. And it was on (laughs) I I totally was. And it was on a shipwreck project. But the story was just the same. I came down there to the shipwreck project thinking like, I'll be somewhere in the middle, you know, like, like I'll be like, There'll be other people kind of like me who don't have that much diving experience, but a decent amount of archaeology experience. But I was wrong. I was like, I by far had the most archaeological experience and by far the least amount of dive experience. So I was like this funny outlier. But I brought, as I'm sure you did, too, a certain skill set that was
2: really, really necessary, that was really helpful to the project. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. I I am kind of bummed because like while I was down there, I was working. I was was still working on my advanced. So like all my Mm -hmm. dives, I was doing checked off like an advanced certification of what we were doing. But when we went to the Captain Kid, which I was really excited actually to work on, they're like, "Well, there's a hundred foot drop here on this reef cliff. Like this is where you can get your deep dive in. So we're just gonna take and do that instead of work." But I was like, "But this is a fucking pirate ship. Like I actually kind of want to work on this." They're like, "No, we're doing the coral." And like the hundred foot cliff was fantastic. Like that was. Easily one of those beautiful moments in my life. And I was like, fuck it. Yeah, I don't need to see a pirate ship. This will always be here. But that 100-foot dive, fuck it. That was incredible. I think you chose wisely.
1: Because a lot of times what people don't realize is a shipwreck itself after having been there for like 400 years and been pummeled by the ocean, a lot of times it doesn't look like much, you know, a lot of times can't even see it. A lot of times it's just like, Oh, you see these like rocks in this coral.
2: That's the, that's the wreck. You're like, I only see some coral, you know? So, yeah after like we did like six different sites and it was all like concreted cannons from like yeah. different time periods like that's all the shipwreck was I was like okay so i just missed two giant mounds of concreted cannons from yep the 1700s cool sweet it I'm, looks little different than the bombards i just saw the other day so yeah, yeah i'll take the 100 foot coral no the 100 foot wall dive is pretty sweet man i would I would do that. Apparently the guy that started this like world save the like manta ray conservation. I forget what the, what this organization is, but their uh-huh. whole thing is to save manta rays. Allegedly the guy that started this foundation did that same dive and saw manta ray, but it was one of those, like his camera wasn't working, so he couldn't get a photo of it. So it's either like yeah. the most like elaborate long con to get someone to prove to people he saw manta ray on that trip. <laughs> But apparently, yeah. that's where it that happened. So, okay. So, I kept looking behind me in the open ocean, like maybe right. this man and raised come maybe I'll get to see it. But hoping,
1: hoping. But uh, yeah, as you're saying, oh, just, you know, if you're really into this, and I think you know this, the hard skill set to get is the archaeology skill set you can get better at diving over time. So, and I think Charlie used to say this. I think a lot of people would say this. It's like, it's easier to turn an archeologist into a diver than the
2: other way around. Right. See, that's the first thing he fucking said to me when I told him yeah. I was interested. He was just like, yeah. yeah, it's easier to turn a diver into a, it's easier mm-hmm. to turn an archeologist into a diver than a diver into an archeologist. Yep. Like sweet. Well, and, turn me into a diver then.
1: Yeah. I took his advice even long after I'd left. And so what I would do is the years rolled by working at the Carablanca pools and Belize or whatever. I would take classes. I take like one dive class a year, even if that where it's like, oh, I'd get my advanced open water. Oh, I'd get my nitrox certification, whatever. You know, I'd go through it. And then ultimately, about boy, at this point, about eight years ago, I was like, I'm gonna get my dive master certification. And that's what I got, right? And that was a real feeling of accomplishment because dive master's a thing. The other yep. ones, you can get, you know, a couple weekends, you're good. Dive master you, you gotta put in the effort. It was the last great academic-ish thing I ever did if that makes sense. I was like 40 or so when I started doing it, even like 43 or something and I was like proud of myself you know when I, I'm like, dude, I'm a dive master like this is awesome. So uh, I, I recommend sort of year by year just if you're into it you know you just stick with it and take those classes right. and it and it was it's really helpful.
2: Yeah. And like all the students he has down here, like all the undergrads, they're dive masters. And like, after we left three stayed to get their instructional certificates. Yeah. So like he has like this mill of like, he takes a student from like freshman year all the way up, gets them completely trained, whether it's in archeology, span biology, animal behavior, he has his little groups, but he makes sure all of them can teach the dive classes and he has safety officers out there. Like he has a self-contained system yeah. and that's why all the students end up as like this state underwater archaeologist somewhere or like they work for texas a&m or south carolina yeah. where he's making those kids the, professionals and i was just like i want this so bad yeah.
1: he he had that mill the better part of 25 years ago like when i was on his project all the other students were that you know they were all that that's why they were like so good at diving all that stuff and i was kind of this weird outsider because yeah i was sort of like having a moment in their fishbowl and it was it was very interesting. That was
2: another time when I learned a lot about diving from those guys. They were they were very competent. I bet. So outside of, of the cenotes and the shipwreck you did with with Charles, what other kind of underwater archaeology have you done in your career? Those are really the two big
1: ones. I mean, I've, I'm I, I'm trying to think. I mean, the cenote thing was kind of like, all right, you know, every year for several years, we would we would be doing that. And that's kind of the. The one they chisel on my tombstone, you know, here lies Andrew Kinkela, the cenote guy. The shipwreck was actually in Northern California. It was the Pomona shipwreck, which was in in Northern California on Fort Ross Cove, and that is some chilly diving, my friend. Like that was some chilly. That is a seven and seven wetsuit, still freezing your ass off. Like Jesus, it was so cold. I think the I want to say the water was like I don't know forty eight. 50 you know somewhere in there and it was like uh was it was brutally cold that's the main thing i remember from working on the pomona it's like i'm freezing i'm still freezing
2: we did a freshwater diet in like early april at sunset ponds here and it was same kind of thing but we had the seven mils on and like well you'll be fine but like your face doesn't (laughs) have a wetsuit no. on it and like that's it what doesn't. i remember most is like water yeah. getting stuck underneath the hood and sitting on my forehead yep. and having the worst fucking ice cream headache i ever had like <laughs> i was it
0: ha- exactly i, was, You're just I like- was
2: just i was miserable i was like i'm gonna fucking leave and they're like you yeah. just need to wait three more minutes that's and they right. were like treadmill minutes that's- of like waiting to go numb in my forehead to feel comfortable
1: that's so funny because that your interior monologue is like the rantings of an insane person you're just like i'm so cold i'm so fucking cold i cannot do this anymore i am leaving right now because fuck this place and fuck you and fuck you and fuck
2: them because fuck this you know and then you and, stay and then you're just sitting there Yeah. and then you just and, and But on like the gradually get better it's just like suddenly it's like okay your face yeah. is numb <laughs> and I was like oh sweet this is this is fine but yeah. then you hit that thermocline and just starts again I'm like no fuck that I'm staying above yeah, 17 feet I'm only staying at 17 feet not even gonna like splash my toes in there to mix up the right. water fuck that the cold no, water can stay down there because uh, your body is just
1: screaming like don't do this to me anymore this is awful and then you're trying to like write something down on like a waterproof paper or something gloves
2: on and it's just yeah, yeah. miserable. <laughs> We went up and they're like, let's switch out. Like, like We're going to wait up here because we did like 15 minutes and we still had like at least half a tank left. Or like mm-hmm. we went in with like 3,200 PSI. We came out up after 15 minutes with 1,600. So we had about like 1,000 to play with. Right. I'm like We'll just wait here for five minutes and then we can do a second dive and we'll count for two. And I was like, okay, I'll be right back. Just put in my snorkel. And I just like sat below the water with my dive computer above the yeah. surface. It was like, I'm not letting my face thaw. Like, right. I'm not doing that five minutes again so I'd rather just sit here and just stare at nothing for five <laughs> minutes breathing out of my circle and like just tap me when you're ready for us to go down and i'll yeah. put in the respirator and sink
1: it's just torturous man and oh god it, it brings it all back that that face chill and what you're saying about the ice cream headache yeah it gets it's like right in the center of the forehead you know it is
2: it's chilly and like a couple of weeks before, he's like, "We used to certify students at, at Sunset Ponds, but it's like doing the mass clear in the water." And I was like, "Oh, yeah. it can't be that fucking bad." I was like, "No, I can do it." And he's like, "Carlton, do you respect me as a professional?" I'm like, "Okay, yeah, you're right." It was like one of those moments, like, "Okay, I guess there is something to do this." If like you would rather send students to the Dominican Republic to certify, <laughs> yeah, rather than driving forty five minutes in a pond in April. And then once we had that experience, is like, "Oh, no wonder they don't fucking <laughs> do this anymore." This probably drove students away from the program because right. this is what they what this hell was Like i couldn't imagine doing a mass clear when all of a sudden now my eyes are now like yeah like 50 degrees colder than they were a second ago mm-hmm. it's brutal it's brutal i, can, Shit, I can't you got take me a yeah <laughs> we'll be right back with segment three we'll be right back after these messages All right, we're right back with episode 159. So, you know, real quick, Andrew. Other than the underwater work that you've done, I've always been maybe always is the wrong word, but since getting to know of you through Pseudo Archaeology Pod, the Pseudo art podcast, you're also on YouTube and you have your own channel. Can teaches archaeology, and there's like sure. some that have some some pretty decent hits on there, but yeah. you just have these like quick, like four to ten minute videos on different topics, like what is anthropology, like what is this term. But also I'm curious like what because you mentioned this on your podcast before mm. when you talk about Graham Hancock, <laughs> like we learned this early when with our Instagram pages we we attacked uh-huh. him and we get really weird now when we tr- we try to avoid talking about Graham because it's a yeah. weird like, he has a cult following and you have, you have a video. <laughs> Graham Hancock is right. An archeologist responds to Netflix, ancient apocalypse. And like, spoiler alert. Like, no, he's not, he's not right. <laughs> yeah. he mentioned that, but like, what was the one, what was kind of like, what was your thought press of like, I need to respond to this Netflix series, but like two, what kind of responses were you getting from like the general okay. YouTube community? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: This is fascinating. This is a really cool, like, anthropological study on sort of behind the scenes YouTube people who are watching this in their you know closet sort sort of thing. So I did that episode, and I will say, thank God, it is not my most watched episode. Some of, some of my other basic ones, like what is anthropology, thankfully I have more hits than this. But Graham Hancock's Ancient Apocalypse came out, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do something funny. And you can tell from the video, I it was a toss off, man. I, I have my tripod set up in my office at all times. So all I do is I set my phone, I you know, on the tripod and then I just push record and then I just do it. So I just did this five minute like joke about how I secretly had Atlantean skulls in my office and like I couldn't tell the world. And I just it's a toss off, man. And so I put this thing up. And then I check on it like the next day and I'm like, I forget what it was. but It was like 2000 hits. That's a lot more than usual. And then it like went up like now it has over 20,000 hits. But what's interesting is when I first put it up for about the first like day, the first 24 hours or so, give or take. The responses were almost all positive. Oh, Kinkella, this is funny. Oh, this is cool. Oh, you know, like just sort of jovial, uh, how I thought people would take it, just like heard it. And then it went really dark after that. <laughs> and so after 24 hours, after the 24 hour line, it got picked up somewhere. Whatever happened, a different clientele was listening and they went to town. Like at this point, it has way over a thousand responses And like 94% of them are negative because they're all like, how dare you, you know, and they just stuff that's in all caps, stuff that's really long, like people are typing for a while before they push send, you know, just angry about how I'm just this awful person. My favorite part is when they call me a so-called professor, because I'm like, I mean, I do get a check every month from this institution and I teach classes, so I'm like a real professor, but it was a massive backlash and it was just really it was just the, the biggest learning experience. And and it's weird, even though it's a laugh, it's weird when that many people hate you. Like like it yeah. it, it kind of puts a little weight on your shoulders as you go through your day. Like you can laugh it off and I do. I don't lose sleep over it, but it's just odd i'm like can we all just chill i just made fun of some stupid shit on netflix
2: like come on man can't we all laugh about this together and no matter and like what's funny is like going through those comments they're like you know this makes me want to you know this form of satire makes me think yeah. of Quincy. like no matter how you approach graham he's so he's so good at at the ever at the entrance of every book every episode he's like scientists hate me archaeologists hate me yeah but a lot, it's like he's he insulates himself so well no matter how you come at him Of course, it's always wrong. Like you're always doing it the wrong way. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, he has to do that. He has to have his setup. That's why he starts the first five minutes
1: of the Netflix series. You know, talking about how archaeologists are terrible and they hate him. Like he had because he has to set up the conflict. So whatever you or I say is instantly, you know, oh, you're
2: just you're just jealous. You know, yeah, because he has to have it that way. The only time I got like, like usually with the podcast and Instagram, whatever, like we'll get those comments on our feed. But like the only one time I was like really personally attacked, I was like a featured guest for I think it was Evolution Soup over in England, and I I made the comment like archaeology moves toward one death at a time, that it's the like the old silverbacks like you, we basically yeah. have to wait for these people to die because now they're in control of the conferences, the journals, right. yeah. And I was like, so we basically have to wait for these people to die, and like people did not like that response. So like, oh how- come on! Like, are you fucking? <sighs> like after I set up the whole conference, it was just like, yeah craziness and I was like okay Look, was like, I'm done like all right
1: that okay. is the most tame joke out there I mean part, part of my dark history was I I was part of a comedy team for a couple of years I did like improv you know cut like uh, if you've ever seen whose line is it anyway it's that kind of show like like right. uh, team on team improv so in terms of jokes I'm like come on that is so like fifth grade like who cares it it doesn't mean that it's not funny it is funny and it's true and there's nothing negative about that you stated a fact like big deal like hey i gotta wait for some people to die because there's very few jobs and like you could say any of that it's true like it was was it's it's harsh yeah not but not really because it's like if we're talking about cancer cancer's negative but it's true people get cancer and die And it sucks, but like you could bring it up. I don't that that drives me nuts. What everyone is so precious
2: and pearl clutching over the littlest nothing, dumbest shit, and it's just like goofy and like generally. Like, I liked your take on on Graham, because it's like one of the jokes that we Connor and David have like, you know, if if he's right, like, fuck, where's our secret membership and payment to the underground cabal? It's like we want in like, why are we left out? Why don't we get to know the secrets, you know? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just like. You know, and and I'm like dreading because I know Flint Dibble is going to debate Graham on fucking Joe Rogan experience. It's like Flint, what the fuck are you doing? Like that is not a safe place or an environment. Like you're just going (laughs) to get roasted, my dude. Like oh god, I I have a.
1: uh, I think that's a complex topic. I a, a part of me is like, why not? You know, because honestly, the a lot of times. The worst critics for that stuff are fellow archaeologists. It's like, oh, they just sit there and go, oh, I can't believe he did this. Oh, I can't believe it's like, dude, he's trying to do something to kind of just beat it all back a little. Yes, the possibility of it ending in flames is high. But so what? Can we all just relax? Like, I'm happy he's going on Joe Rogan, actually, but. I'm also, I would say, beware. He has to have a really good idea of how he personally casts. That's what I always say. Like, you have to have the right Right. person in terms of how they cast to an audience. And if you cast like, I'm a know-it-all nerdy guy. I'm not saying he casts like this or not. But, like, you, you have to cast as, like, a chill, like, affable you know, a person or it will never work because it is a religion. You cannot persuade people with all your facts the other way. They just won't go for it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. That's all about presentation. What I love most about Graham is he always talks shit about how he's about academics, how he's not a trained archeologist, but he always dresses like a field scientist. And like, it's like, it's perfect because he's still tapping in subconsciously to some of these like visual affirmations that he knows what he's talking about. And it's like, yeah, Flint, whatever you like, just fucking wear like a Metallica t-shirt. Like, do not come in looking like an academic in any way, shape or form. Dead before you start. If you come in
1: with like a tweed jacket, like you are fucking dead. Like you have to, you have to come in, just chill. Like I got my Hawaiian t-shirt on, you know, Hey, what's up guys. Anyway, what's for lunch right on this show looks decent. What are we talking about? You know, like, and then you got a chance. But right. yeah, I, you're right. Yeah, we, we went see. through a whole thing.
2: Yeah, we'll see. I'm um, we'll see. Like I was talking to John Hopes about it not too long mm-hmm. ago because every time Graham talks about archaeology, he always <laughs> has to slam John. I, he hits and, him like, first. He's just always like, you know, the coward John Hopes, and it's like yeah. his announcement about debating Flint was like Flint's accepted, and like two paragraphs, and like, fuck John Hopes, and it's like yeah. to be determined. It was like Jesus, okay, right? Yeah, you know. Such is life with all that crap. I just wish we would all chill out a little more and have a laugh, you know, but alas, no, alas, no. Yeah. But I mean, like, certainly like your podcast gets a lot of laughs. Like when I listen to it, it's like a fun time. It's, it's very much like, let's talk about, I was cracking up when I saw your episode and like, Clovis and and pseudo archaeology. I was like, holy shit, here we go. Like, oh, yeah. if you're gonna burn or not burn bridges, but it's like this is an episode that's gonna get archaeologists a little wound up. Oh wait, which Clovis. one you mean? Oh, just cl- Clovis and gen- like, um, it was like the Clovis firsters. Was oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Clovis first, and I sort of tried to explain it out because there are sort of twists and turns in that, but mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, for me, for me personally, you can't be. You know, you can't say that that I mean, you, you basically can't say Clovis is first. There, there's some earlier stuff, but not crazy early. Like the only good, right. you know, I mean, you know, this stuff like the, the only good stuff in terms of dates. By the time you get to 16,000, you're getting pretty thin. And by the time it's 17, you're kind of out,
2: you know, in terms of for sure, good dated stuff. Yeah, so. absolutely. I just thought that was like a really fun because it came out yeah. like just early enough i think it was like early january mid-january when that episode came out of the year mm-hmm. i was able to use that in class to talk about like taught that science communication and public anthropology class to oh talk about God. like you know even within archaeology yeah. there are these weird you know trying to set up these conversations in the field and then to move like kind of outside like it's yeah you know there are these divisions and some of this goofy shit but yeah. i mean your episodes i mean they're just like a fun fun time like That's, i been i usually binge them like on car rides so it's 30 right. minutes it's That's, just you like almost on a rant. like some of these get like the tonewood debate was about guitars i haven't listened to that one yet because i was just like i have no idea what the fuck's going on but then you mentioned it in a later podcast like let me i got this email about it and i was like okay well let me go listen to this tonewood debate because yeah. i'm like what well, clearly someone got wound up about this <gasps> and if someone's getting wound up then i need to go back and but,
1: They got so angry. I knew that one would hit in terms of like having an angry audience because in electric guitar world, that is like this, like to the death debate that they have. And it's like if you look at the science behind it, you're like the type of wood your electric guitar is made out of makes no difference. The and look at the sign you know like but uh, but it's a religion just like with graham hancock like they won't let it go it's like no look a, an acoustic guitar yes an electric guitar no they're very different actually but anyway yeah it's that it's such a funny world and i'm so glad you, you're listening to my show the way i always hope people do you're like ah, i'm listening to it in the car i'm just sort of you know Listening to a few at a time. I'm having a bit of a laugh. Like, that's what I want, you know? Yeah. And in terms of archaeology, when we were talking about how there's these little, you know, infighting groups within archaeology itself, I always say, look, first, can we all have a laugh? And second, I'm Andrew Kinkella, friend to all. Okay. Like, we are all so lucky that we can live this life being full time archaeologists that people get to pay us for this stuff. We've all won the lottery. Right. So let's all just enjoy our winnings, you know, and let's just talk, uh, talk about archaeology and enjoy it. I can have a different point of view from you, but I'm not going to hate you after. I'm just going to be happy that I still get to do this thing.
2: Yeah. What I love most and why I did those episodes where it's just me is like, we got like December. uh, I was like procrastinating and shit I had to do and like went on to Reddit and I was like, Hey, I'm a life like r slash archaeology. I'm a host of life and ruins. How can we make this better? And a lot of comments were like, we feel your show. It's like, we're kind of outsiders listening into three guys talking or with the guests. Like we're mm-hmm. at that outside circle where we're either like, it's kind of like listening to people at a conference at the next table over. Right. Like your show is very much almost like this. It's like, you're talking to me as a person, as a, as a listener. Like it feels yeah. way more conversational of like, you're like, very similar to this. Like, it's almost like I'm listening to your podcast right now, right? because the way that I listen to it, it's very much like, hi, I'm Andrew Kinkill, let me tell you about this topic. And it feels like you're speaking directly to me, not like ruins where I'm usually speaking to my co-hosts and and a guest. And so that's what I love most and like how your podcast is different, because even like the CRM show and all the others, they're very similar. Like it's a group of people and you feel as an audience member. Whereas in your podcast, I feel as a participant in that conversation, if that makes sense. It it makes total sense.
1: And it's just because of the setup. I'm a solo act, you Mm -hmm. know, where I'm I am telling a story. It reminds me a lot of a lot of the drama stuff I used to do or whatever doing that podcast, you know, because I'm I'm basically setting up a show for an audience. Right. It's for the audience, when when we talk in the round, you know, on these other shows where there's several of us, you're right. We are talking to each other and the audience is listening in. But that's OK. That's the setup of the show, you know, right, absolutely. Um, it,
2: but it, it is two different tastes. Yeah, no, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm really glad that you reached out about coming on and we were able to we were able to get you on ruins for to, to have you on it and talk more about it to hear more about like your work outside of just some of those fun episodes like let me tell you about hauling fucking aluminum tanks to the, <laughs> through the forest or just like it was I, I
1: can still feel it in my knees to this day you know it was it was so much extra weight for the human body bad. to carry along a long ways you know how much all that crap weighs it's just it's yeah. really really
2: heavy I, I was bitching about just moving it like less than 50 feet from the back of a pickup into a boat with a slot in it and like i can't imagine like hauling that thing six miles including like the fins the gallon of water you got on your back yeah. and all your tools on top like no fuck that i'm not I'll, I'll it was one
1: of those things right, where it was so, so heavy That whenever we stopped walking, you had to make this command decision of are you going to put anything down or not, you know, because you're going to have to like, like you you take the tank and put it down and now you're hugely heavy backpack. Are you going to take that off and put it down because you're going to have to bend over and pick it back up, you know, and so. I remember most of the times so when we stopped walking, I would just stand with all the stuff still on kind of the same idea that you had earlier in terms of taking your mask off. It's like, do I take my mask off and freeze my face or, or when you were like, do, do I go back down into the cold or do I, or, 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 you know, do I warm myself or do I just stay cold? It's the same idea. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, I'm just going to stay tired with all this crap on because once I take it off, Oh, I can't imagine putting it back on. Fair enough. <laughs>
2: Well, excellent. So we've reached the end of the episode. So, you know, you know, Dr. Kinkilla, like what are some uh, resources? Um, These could be books, videos, whatever that you recommend our audience listen to regarding either like pseudoscience or your work in Central America.
1: Ooh, yeah. In terms of if you want to learn more. I, I really like, uh, frauds, myths, and mysteries. Myths that's and a, mysteries. that's a great classic book, which I actually used when I was a TA one time. And I think I'm going to do a, a show on my experiences using that. Cause that has, that had its own interest. I really recommend that for the pseudo archeology world. I of course recommend myself, the, uh, pseudo archeology podcast. I'm also a part of the CRM podcast. And then my, Oh, my YouTube videos, anyone out there, if you watch any of my YouTube videos, feel free to comment on any of them, because I kind of can see the scrolling comments as they come in. And I do take them seriously. If there's a video you guys want and you don't haven't had me do, if you have questions about archaeology, you want me to answer. I love doing that stuff. I take like audience questions all the time because I just want to answer whatever people are curious about in terms of other books on the, the subject, you know, there's if you're just curious about the ancient Maya, there's Michael Coe's classic book, The Maya, which I use in class and I think really works well. I think it's uh, easy to use it's 2006,
2: 2008 for The Maya. Yeah, it's
1: the most recent one, I think, is newer. OK, so they redid it a bunch of times. He died fairly recently, but they redid it right up to the right up to the nub. So gotcha. um that one's good. My my textbook, Kinkela teaches archaeology. If you're into intro to archaeology type stuff, you always check that out. So that's the name of your YouTube channel and the book that you <laughs> no. Oh my god. See, I have so many irons and so many fires. I got it wrong. Hmm. See, I'm just I'm not a professional, let's be honest. My textbook is called Archaeology is Awesome. Archaeology is awesome.
2: Okay. Perfect. And where can our listeners find you on social media or where can they email you at? You know, the the easiest way to get in touch with me actually is
1: through my YouTube channel, just because I see those comments like like right away. It's like, oh, there they are. I have like a Facebook account and I have a Twitter account and all that kind of good stuff. But I have to be honest, I barely ever use them. So sure. they are there. They do exist. But I'm telling you, the YouTube comment section is really where I see it a lot and I can really um, write back really easily.
2: Sweet. And uh, last but certainly not least, if given the chance again, would you still choose to live a life in ruins? Oh, hell yeah. It's been great. I am so fortunate for my career. Excellent. Well, everyone, uh, this has been episode 159. We just interviewed Dr. Andrew Kinkela, professor of archaeology at Moore Park College in California in that giant state. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> keep listening. And if you have always 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 if you're listening to us on the all shows feed stop stop what you're doing right now <laughs> go into our individual show subscribe to us listen there that way we can get all the metrics for how well our show is doing please email us with any questions concerns or topics of interest or, or people that we should interview and i think that's our usual closure oh yeah rain subscribe mm-hmm. to the podcast Always, always, always really appreciate seeing those five stars, four stars, even the occasional one star. We really appreciate when people let us know what's up. And with that, we are out. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and
1: Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer.
2: This episode was produced
1: by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. And was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archepodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.
0: You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement.